fresh start. We want to turn lemons into lemonade. I want to welcome everybody walking by, watching by live stream. I want to encourage you all to share the stream. If you're not part of our social, you can find us on Instagram and um, TikTok and uh, Facebook. So, But if you do, are there, share the stream. Let some, uh, everybody else get some good news too. Say this, we're going, to have a lot of, we're going to have a lot of interaction here this morning. A lot of interaction. I like interaction. Say it. For every setback, Jesus has a comeback. Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan until life punches them in the face. Anybody been punched in the face by life? Yeah? More than one time. No matter how much you mitigate against losses, life brings losses. Life brings inevitable losses. We don't want losses, but losses are inevitable. Broken people, say it with me, broken people, broken places, broken things, broken systems, and broken choices. This is what creates the dysfunction in our world. Sin has broken us in every sphere. And so these things are the things that actually create the dysfunction, the mistakes, the, the messes, and ultimately losses. Some people come back, some people don't. That's a fact. But if you're a Christian, you have the power to come back. You have the power to overcome. This is what's important. Things do not have to stay the same. They do not have to stay the same. You've been given the power and the ability to overcome losses and to come back from no matter what the setback is, you have the power to come back. This is one of the things, again, that separates the believer. We don't just have resiliency where we kind of come back. We have an empowered resiliency. We have, a, we have the Holy Spirit who empowers that when we start moving forward out of our circumstances. Here's a, here's a verse, Romans chapter 8. It says, say it with me, in all these things... Put your hand on your heart. I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Our conquering power comes through where? Through Jesus who loves us. Right? Don't ask me why, but he loves us. <laughs> why? You know, I don't know. Love is willful intent for good. That's how the Bible sees love. Nothing can separate you from God's willful intent for your good. Nothing. Nothing. His intentions towards you are forever good, to give you a hope and a future, to, not to harm you. God has no intentions of harming you. If you belong to him, he has nothing but love and adoration. He only wants your best. In him, we have power to conquer and to overcome. Our power to overcome, the true power to overcome, it comes through Jesus. We can do nothing without the Lord. Doesn't matter how smart you are. I used to think I was pretty smart. I, don't make, I make no such claims any longer. I used to think I was capable. I make no such claims any longer. I know nothing. I have no good ideas. Jesus is my only good idea, Ingrid. It's the only good idea I have. His name is Jesus. I don't have any other good ideas. He is that. He is the idea. In him is everything. The great myth of Christianity is Jesus is all about your best life now. That's the myth. There's two myths that sort of throw us way off course. And we say, Jesus is all about you. He's all about your best life now. No, he's not. Or God's going to do what God's going to do. No, he's not. This is the, the, the relationship with man has always been designed to be a partnership. Always. God would work, Adam was to work with the Lord over and over and over. Jesus said, I am with you. 
I am with you. It's called a co-mission. In other words, we do it together. It's not a mission. It's a co-mission. So that's how, this, that's how life is supposed to work, and that's how um, uh, the kingdom works. That's how all these things work. God's not about your best life now, but let me tell you what he is about. He's about the willful, he's about the willful design of your creation. Each person in this room was created on purpose with a purpose, and he's all about that. You're designed unique with gifts and talents and abilities that no one else has. You're unique. People are similar, but people are not different. They, they find that whether they study GNA, DNA or uh, fingerprints. Uh, they do personality. I've been a part of a lot of different personality matrix, matrices. Um, one of them uh, basically st statistically proves that each person is an individual and that no personality is the same. There's never been anyone like you. Isn't that glad? Isn't that interesting? There never will be another one of you. God made you unique and he designed you. So what God is about, the Lord is not about your best life. Because the way we see our best life is the way we want it. It's not your best life in the manner that you want it. We seek first his kingdom, what is right to him, and all things are added unto us. You're created for something better than your imagination. Above and beyond what you can ask or think. Isn't this what the Bible says? I got one. Thank you. So he's about the purposes and the designs of your creation. So just let me illustrate it for a minute. So my big vision of my life, the plan for Kevin's life, I was going to be a real estate developer. That was my plan. And I had a plan to get from point A to point B. I was going to work my way to a certain place. I was going to accumulate property. I was going to do these different things. That was my plan. The whole time I'm following Jesus, and I could never manifest that plan. I could only do it in measure. I could never get there in fullness. Because, you see, that was my plan. Do you understand this? That was what I wanted. But what the Lord wanted from me was something entirely different. And what the Lord wanted from me was not really what I wanted. And the reason that I didn't want what Jesus wanted from me is because my paradigm was wrong. I saw ministry in a way that it wasn't. I was around ministers that were, um, I don't want to say vain, but let's just say self-promoting. Can we use that word? Self-promoting. Eight by ten glossies at the door, you know. All about heavy, heavy on the personality, you know. And I was like, I, I don't want to call attention to myself. That's not what I want. I want to call attention to Jesus. And then the Lord's like, well, who said you had to call attention to yourself, Kevin? And so when I, it took me a while to get out of, the, out of seeing things, I had to see things differently. And when I started seeing it differently and when I finally sort of embraced this call to ministry, it still took me a long time. I'd like to say I'm all in. I am all in. But even when I would say I was all in before, I was always looking over my shoulder I didn't realize that the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that God had given me, the dreams and the desires that he had given me were not to build my world but to build his. So the desire to be a builder was in me. The desire to develop was in me, but it wasn't to develop what I wanted. It was to develop what he wanted. The kingdom, the church, the purposes, the people, right? And it all started to make sense. It all started to make sense. And so those lines that were blurred, but one of the reasons I resisted God's will, and there are people in the room, you resist, you, God's told you to do something, and you flat out don't want it. You don't want it. You're just like, no way, I don't want it. The reason that you don't want it is your paradigm is wrong. The way you see it is wrong. 
You think that by doing this, you have to be that. You, you, because you see a mirror or an image of something else. There's a false pre- representation of what you, what you, he's telling you this and you see it based on something that's not necessarily true. I told Jesus, I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that. There's a lot of I'm not doing that. And he was like, great, let's not do that. You know, and it, it, just, it just, it shaped me in a way that I never was shaped. And what I had to do is I had to get out of the cultural paradox of the church, or the paradigms of the church. I was in an insulated world where everybody saw things the same. I had like a wilderness journey, you know, find myself kind of thing. I had to go and find Jesus. I was showing pictures of my daughter, and it was Thanksgiving. And back when I had a lot of hair, I had long hair. I grew my hair out long. I know. You're like, really, dude? Yeah, I got pictures. It's Thanksgiving, and I'm wearing clothes and crazy stuff. My arms around Sherry. And it was a period of, I remember that period of life that I was in because I was coming out of churches that told me I had to keep my hair cut, and I had to stand up straight, and I had to do all of this, and I had to be like that, and I had to act like this, and I had to act like that. And I was coming out of two separate church groups that had told me the same thing. And I was like, I'm not, I mean, I don't know whatever it was with me. Maybe the hair was a statement. I don't know. I don't know whatever it was. But I didn't want it. And I was living in Germany. And, uh, you know, I dared people to ask me if I was a Christian because I'll machine gun you with scripture. I'm like, shh, shh. You know, I knew verses backwards, forwards, left, right, doctrine, left, right. You weren't going to tell me I wasn't a Christian. You know, but I refused to let them judge me by the outward appearance. And I was too constrained And what I didn't understand at the time was that the constraining of the environment had affected my mentality. And it it had affected the way that I had seen the Lord. I saw the Lord as legalistic and self-righteous, even though in my heart I knew he wasn't. But the presentation, even though the churches would say, God's not a legalist, but they would present him like he's a legalist. (laughs) God's not a legalist. Cut your hair. You know, how come you don't have a suit on this morning, Tony? Don't you know you're standing before the king? <laughs> Too close? Some of, you, some of you that you're like, really, dude? Others you're like, wow, that's true. That was my experience. My point with that is saying that I had to, in order for me to become what God wanted me to become, I had to change the way that I was thinking. I had to look at why I feel God calling me in this direction or wanting me to do this or be this person or whatever, whatever it was. And there was a resistance in my heart that was past self-will. There was a, it was something much further than just no. It was deeply rooted in me. And I didn't know why. I didn't know why it was, in, why it was there. So it took me a while, to, a while to figure it out. And one of the things I had to do was just detox from a lot, of, a lot of, of environments and a lot of cultural things. Same thing happened to me when I, got, when I came to Christ. I got rid of everything, everything. My music was gone, my clothes, I changed everything. Some of you, that's what happens. You have to come into a, you have to, if you're gonna go in a new season, you're gonna have a fresh start. You've gotta separate yourself from some old habits, some old hangups. You gotta be willing to separate yourself from old atmospheres that you've been in, old ways of thinking or you won't change. You don't know who you are. You're going to enter this space, and you're almost going to feel like you're, you're, you're in a vacuum. You don't know where you're going, but what's really happening is you're decompressing. You're like, you're coming to a different place. It's, it's strange. 
But I've, I've had this experience several times in my own life. And so I understand it very well. I understood it when I came to Christ. I was just like, I don't need any of this junk anymore. It hasn't done me any good. No girlfriends, no music. No, you're like, what? No clothes. Nothing. I didn't want any of it. I got rid of it all. I got rid of it all. And all I wanted was Jesus. I haven't stopped. So I still, that's all I want. I still, I want Jesus. But, but, but where some of you are, some of you, maybe you're, in a new, you're a new believer and you're kind of in that space where, you know, you need to separate yourself. You're still carrying a lot of worldly things. You're still doing a lot of worldly things. Yeah? I mean, that was me. That uh, was me. And I had to get rid of that. I didn't know who I was, but I knew who I didn't want to be. And so I was standing there in a place not knowing who I was. And then as God began to define it for me, I started trying to pursue different paths. I saw it more in light of myself. And really what it was, it's called false humility, right? False humility. Yeah, I had false humility. I, really what it was is it's an excuse for my own insecurity. <gasps> yeah, let's just be clear. It's an excuse for your own insecurity. Arrogance is a presentation of insecurity. Arrogance is a mask for insecurity. So you can be arrogant and cocky and all that, and that's really a mask for insecurity. The arrogant, cocky guy, he's masking insecurity too. Or you can have false humility, and that's a mask for insecurity. And everybody's like, pray for this pastor. This guy needs some help. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to get you to see to help you. <laughs> and hopefully I'm helping you. All the self-righteous in the room are like, he should have a suit on. Why doesn't he have a suit on? His hair is looking a little long on the left side. Yes, I agree with that. <laughs> Actually had somebody put me that on YouTube. Why don't you wear a suit? It's more biblical. My response was, why don't I wear a robe and sandals and let's really get biblical. <laughs> Yeah, right? Yeah. I don't know. So there's three trajectories of life, right? God's all about your, your design and the design of your creation. He's all about that. He's all about your purpose, your assignment. So say it with me. I have a purpose. I have assignments. I have mandates. And I have destinies. All of you have it. Every single person born in this world. Why? Because God is a purposeful and intentional God. He's a God of destiny. And when you come to Christ, you actually now receive the potential to achieve your destiny. The unbeliever can't receive a destiny because they don't receive Christ. Only Jesus gives you the power to obtain that destiny. But destiny, destiny is the end result of your life, the destination. Well, we all know we're going to be in the kingdom, but what will, your, what will the end result of your life be? That's your destiny. Destiny is, there's a determined destiny, and then there's the destiny that we end up with. And the way that we achieve the determined destiny is that we begin to understand a sense of purpose, we begin to understand assignments, and we begin to understand mandates, and they're all different. People can't achieve destiny because they don't, they don't even know what their purpose is. And then they can't, achieve, they can't get past that if they don't understand that they have an assignment and a mandate. Mandates tend to be what you need to do now. Mandates are not necessary. Ass mandates and assignments are the stepping stones you have a purpose. Yeah, I don't know. Let's just throw something out there. Uh, I'm going to use you, Tony, because you're my friend. And I know he's, Tony might throw something at me here. 
my destiny is to build a business. I don't know if this is your destiny or not. I have no idea, but I'm just using it. My is to build a business that glorifies God, employs other people, generates revenue and income that propagates the gospel. That's my destiny. A business that brings Jesus glory, provides income for others, himself included, and creates revenue and generates revenue that I can fund the gospel and be a part of that in some way. I mean, that, that's, your, that's your thing. So what is the assignment in this season? What is the mandate in this season? So your purpose is that. And as you follow your mandates and your assignments, the destiny begins to manifest. It'll probably be bigger than what you think it is because it usually is. <laughs> we see in a glass dimly, the Bible says. We think we see, but we really don't see. We're seeing a fog. It's a lot bigger than what you think it is. But as you begin to understand what your purpose is, and then you begin to say, okay, this is my purpose, and then you follow the assignments and the mandates in that season. Elevates to affect nations. The mandate is to, is to buy property. This is what we're doing right now. The destiny is that this church will affect nations. So just let me just give you an example. Last three weeks, you don't think this is true? And the Lord's like kind of takes me and just goes... You know, I don't know, every now and then we all need, we all need, you're like, Jesus slaps you? Sometimes when I'm too, I, I, I let him slap me. I want him to slap me. No, I'm just kidding. You guys are like looking at me like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> two weeks ago, we had someone here, we had a family here from Australia who follow us on the social media. That same week, we had um, a couple here. They were from uh, Italy. They're from Milan. Uh, last week, we had a whole family here from Bombay that follow us on social media. That's just, that's in two weeks. I mean, I, could, I, didn't even, I didn't even track down. So let's just, just say this. The prophetic destiny of this church is to affect nations. And what you see is you see like the forefruit, the forerunning fruit of that. You see the, the, the atmosphere of that. You see it by just the people that we interact with. And we see that when we, do, when we move into that, things start shifting. Things start shifting, Right? So every time, we step in, every time we step into that role, stuff starts moving because that's the destiny of this church is to affect nations. So that's the destiny, right? How we go about that, well, we determine where the landing place of this church eventually is. But the question now is, so what, what is the assignment and the mandate within this season? Well, we have a mandate to buy property. The assignment is to raise the money to buy the property. How's that going to affect nations? I don't even want to get into it, but it, it will affect nations. So this is, if you understand that, if you, I'm trying to illustrate something for you so that you understand what's going on here. It's not, this is my purpose and this is my destiny and that there's no steps in between that. There's a lot of steps in between that. You know, this is my purpose and this is my destiny, right? My destiny is to do this. I know the Lord has told me this is my destiny. Hallelujah. This is my purpose. Well, what's your assignment and what's your mandate? What is God assigning you to do right now? Mandate relates to what you must do. It's a sense of determined must. You, you, just, you just know this is what you have to do. You have to do. It's almost like you have no choice. That's a mandate. An assignment is an instruction. I need you to do this for me. Why? Because I told you so. That's an assignment. A mandate is you have to do this. You don't know why. Does this make sense? It's important. This is extremely important. The great myth of Christianity is Jesus is about your best life now. No, he's not. He's about your purpose, your destiny. On purpose with a purpose. Your assignments. There's three trajectories of life. Say it with me. Micro. Macro. Meta. 
Macros, micros, what's happening in your immediate world. Metas, what, or uh, macros, what's happening in the greater world around you. And meta is what's happening in the overall view of life. What we are supposed to be as Christians, this relates to Fresh Start, is that our focus is to have the meta-narrative in play. We are to follow the meta-narrative, not Mark Zuckerberg. I know some of you are already thinking, meta, like Facebook? We're supposed to follow Facebook? No, the meta-narrative of the kingdom. You're eternal. You're sons and daughters of your father. You're supposed to be about your father's business. That's the meta-narrative. You will stand before the king as a Christian, and you will give an account for your life. Not unto salvation, but unto reward. Every single believer, this should sober some of us up right now, every single one of you will stand before the Lord and will account for what he has given you. What did you do with what I gave you? This has nothing to do with being born again. This has nothing to do with it. This has to do with what you did in partnership with his kingdom. What did you do with it? We will all stand before him and we will answer that question. What will your answer be? (laughs) You're going to stand before him. And he's going to say, look, man, I got a stack of stuff here. What can I give you, Rudy? What can I give you? What did you do for me? I, I, I I didn't do much for you, Lord. I, um, you know, I did this. He's going to go, okay, here, have a pinwheel. Have a nice day. It's literally how it's going to be. It's not eternal life. We all get eternal life. But we are rewarded unto how we serve. There's, it's not, there's not, there, we all get equality in salvation. We all get equality in value and worth. But there is not equality in rulership in this kingdom. You will be given dominion and domain based upon your willingness to serve on his behalf. Let us die with him that we may rule with him, Thomas said. 1 Corinthians, whosoever works will be tried. They will be tried as hay, wood, and stubble. If their works are unto themselves, their works will be burned in fire like hay, wood, and stubble. But they will be saved yet by smoke. In other words, they didn't do much. They didn't do anything for Jesus except give their life to Christ. So they get, they get to come into the kingdom with their rear end on fire. Woo! You know, they will be saved but by fire. You know, they're going to be saved through the transition. Then there are those who, who serve Jesus not according, according to what he told them to do. This is what we're rewarded on. We're not rewarded upon what God told you to do. I'm rewarded upon what God told me to do. You get this? You could be given a king's ransom if all he told you to do was something simple and you did it. Because obedience is the value of the kingdom. It's not, what, it's not the, the, the massiveness of your achievement. That, that's not really what he's rewarding us on. He's rewarding us on simple obedience. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. It's greater than the fat of rams and bulls, he says. It's greater than anything you could offer me is to obey me. Do what I ask. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? (laughs) Is that not funny to you guys? That's funny. (laughs) So what is what he's telling us to do? But if you live your life with with the meta world involved and you live your life with eternity, Lord, I want to stand before you. I tell him all the time, I don't want to come empty-handed. Do not let me come empty-handed. I don't care what you got to do. Don't let me stand before Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the whole tribe, you know, any of my family members that made it there. Don't let me come walking into that room empty-handed. And he'll tell you. He'll start prompting your heart. He doesn't want you to come empty-handed. 
He'll start telling you. Give a cup of cold water to a prophet. That's why I usually have four bottles of water up here because I say this, this line all the time. I said, if you honor the prophet, he gives you a reward. You bring a child to him in Jesus' name. Some of you bring kids to the children's ministry. You get rewarded for that. Anybody who brings a kid to me in my name, I reward that. You give a cup of cold water to one of my prophets, I'll reward that. That's how easy it is to be rewarded. <laughs> it's easy. So the question is, Lord, what do you have for me? So he's, this is what he's all about. And we're to live our lives with eternity in mind. Eternity in mind. Yeah? Eternity in mind. Another story, I won't, get, I won't take that any further. I want to, but I won't. Got to move on. If you don't have the lens of eternity, you're going to drift. When you have the lens of eternity, you will never drift. Because you'll realize this life doesn't mean anything. The world is passing away and the selfish desires thereof. It's passing away, right? We look in the mirror and you're like, I'm passing away. <laughs> Start looking back at your high school yearbook and you're like, what happened? What happened? This world is passing away. I'll say this. Jesus, say this with me. Jesus does his most powerful works on the back end of people's lives. Some of you think you don't got anything to offer. He, the most powerful things he's, he does in the Bible, he does it on the back end. Chapter 4. Yeah? He, Jesus, Jesus does the most powerful things in people's lives in the fourth quarter. If they'll listen. Yes. Amen. It's your season. It's your season. It's, weird. it's because you're smarter than you were in your 20s. Right? Yeah. You are. You've raised kids. You've made all the dumb mistakes you could make. And now you're like, okay, I know what not to do, so I'm definitely not doing that. You're, yeah. You have the lens of eternity. The Bible says this. This is, what, this is how the Lord is. It's his nature. He says, I declare the end from the beginning. So God is always thinking with the end in mind. This is how he is. I declare the end from the beginning. I call from the ancient times the things that are not yet done. He foretells your life. That's why, when you, that's why some of you have highlight reels of your life. Like, Lord, what do you want to do with my life? And he gives you like a foof, like a highlight reel. And you've seen things in your heart. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? You've seen God shown you something. There's something. You've seen something. Seeds of greatness or something. Because God calls what is not, he calls it before, as though it were, and he calls the ancient things from the very start. From the very start. I was in a service. My, my, we, Sherry and I come from a church that was really big on vision. It's probably why I teach vision at the first of the year every year, because every year this church taught vision. And he, the pastor would always tell us to believe God, same similar things to what I'm telling you. And uh, I would say, Lord, what do you, what, what do you have for me? And you got to realize where I was at at the time. He's like, you'll lead my people. You'll lead my people. I'm like, I'm going to lead your people? I didn't even know the Bible. I didn't know. I, didn't, I seriously didn't know the Bible. I didn't even know. Malachi was Malachi, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you heard me say it before, Job, all this must be, I, it was Job. I thought, this is, man, there's a book to get a job. Like, this is pretty good. You know, I knew the Gospels kind of, you know, from growing up. But the Old Testament, I was clueless about. I studied the Old Testament very intently. So, but anyway, another story. But I would look at Job, and, I would think, and then I'd start reading Job, and I'd be like, there's nothing in here about getting a job, you know. <laughs> I was in no space to lead anybody. I could barely lead myself. But if you'll follow this is what he says, and if you'll follow the assignments and the mandates, and I didn't do it perfectly at all. But I've learned 
And now I'm trying to follow these assignments and these mandates much quickly. The reason I'm telling you all this is I'm trying to show you what this looks like. I'm trying to tell you it's not just me, it's you. You too. God works the same way in all of your lives. He's the same God. He does not change. Yesterday, today, and forever. Israel knew my deeds, Moses knew my ways. It's better to know the ways of the Lord instead of the deeds of the Lord. If you know his ways, you will see his deeds. I just don't want to know his deeds. I want his ways. I want to know how you operate, Lord. What is your heart? What is your intention? How do you do this? Why do you do this? What's the matter? How do I cooperate with you? And you too, guys. It's who he is. He looks at your life and says, this is what this person can be. This is what this person is born for. This is a preordained destiny that I have for you. This is what I got for you. And people get that, but then the church will say, well, if God wants to do it, God's going to do it. It's not like that. It is not like that. That is the biggest lie. We, we tell that lie all the time, and it is not true. It's not true. God works in partnership with you, with you. One of the most powerful verses in the book of Genesis that is overlooked all the time is it said, it had not rained upon the earth because no man was tilling the ground. Why hadn't it rained? Why hadn't it rained? There was no partnership. The, the heavens were not releasing rain because there was no partnership. You understand that? You wonder why there's no rain? Lord, where's the rain? Send the rain on my life, Lord. Send the rain. I'm so dry, Jesus. I'm so dry. Send the rain. Start tilling the ground. You say, I don't know what ground to till. Ask him. What, till the ground. Lord, where do I till? He'll tell you, I know what the first answer is going to be prayer. Start tilling the ground of prayer. Start tilling the ground of worship. Start tilling the ground of communion. And let me start releasing the rain into that area of your life. Let me build the relationship. And then once I build the relationship, start, we'll start tilling some other ground. And we'll send the rain. We have to till the soil if we want heaven's rain. It, again, it comes back to the partnership aspect, people. It comes, he, he doesn't need you. He wants to work with you. How crazy is that? Right? How crazy is that? Anybody here got sons? Right? Is it nice to work with your son, Roscoe? You, even though your son makes a mess. He makes a mess. I've worked with Roscoe and his sons before. And Roscoe puts his sons to work, and Roscoe walks in the room, and he's like, oh, dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Did you seriously do that, son? I'm pretty close. I know I'm pretty close. <clears throat> but he still wouldn't trade anything for working with his sons, even though his sons make a complete mess of things sometimes until they learn. This is how he is. Ladies, you cook with your kids, you work with your kids, you bring your kids to, you know, all this different stuff. I'm a guy, so I see it differently. I don't know how you, but women interact with their children too, right? And they make messes. But you still love to work with them, don't you? You love to work with your kids, and, and even though they're frustrating at times, God's like that. He's like that. He likes to work with you even though you're frustrating. He doesn't get frustrated. But I will say this, he loves to work with you even though you make a mess, that's how he wants it. He wants to work with us. I don't know why, but he does. He does. <clears throat> we have the ability to start over. Say with me, I have the ability to start over, but I have to change. Say this, change begins with choosing. Let's say that one again. Change 
begins with choosing. And say this one. I'm, I told you there's going to be a lot of these. If I do not change, nothing is going to change. Nothing's going to change if you don't change. Say this. If I want what I've never had, I must do what I've never done. Here comes some more. You ready? I don't need to get bitter. I need to get better. You have losses. You have hurts. You have pain. All of that stuff's true. You can get bitter or you can get better. You can stay where you are or you can change. And you can make a better choice next time around. Say this. I don't need a better wind. I need the wisdom to set a better sail. You don't need a better wind. The wind is always going to blow in a way that you don't want it to blow in. It's always ne- the wind is never going to be perfect. You need to learn the wisdom of how to set the sail in the correct position to still drive the ship no matter which way the wind is blowing. And this is, a, this is one of my favorites. I, re- I wrote it differently. Say this. No matter the friction, it can be turned into, fr- into traction. No matter what the friction is, you can use that friction and turn that into a momentum that creates traction. Doesn't matter. Doesn't, amen. Those of you that have experienced friction, you know what I'm talking about. You can turn it around. We have the ability to turn it around. We have the, poss- we have the power in Christ to turn around. You can give, it, things can change. Say this, I can live ordinary or I can journey towards the extraordinary. Jesus has invited me into the extraordinary. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be Instagram easy. It's gritty. It's gritty. Gritty. It's a fight. It's messy. If you're going to move extraordinary, it's not pretty. You ever see Instagram? Everybody acts like they got it going on. You know what I mean? Kid in a stroller, two kids on their arm, Louis Vuitton bag, sunglasses. That is far from the truth, man. And then we think if we've got it hard, well, we must not be doing it right because this person on Instagram, it doesn't look that hard for them. So why is it so hard for me? Everything works for them. Why isn't it working for me? Because they're giving you their highlight reel. That's why. They're giving you their best. Say this, I have to be, develop a resiliency with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never tell you to quit anything the Lord has told you to do. It's true. You have to develop an ability not to quit. You have to develop a desire to change. You cannot see change as a bad thing. Change is not a bad thing. I can go into marriage on change. Good God Almighty, marriage has changed me. It's changed me deeply and profoundly. Someone asked me, I'll just throw this out there. Sharon, I've been married 32 years. Is that right? Yes. Am I right? Yeah. I've been asked more than once, you know, how do you guys stay married so long? And I said, change. If one or both parties will not change, the marriage will not last. It won't last. The marriage stops when one or both parties stop changing. It's true. You must change. You must change. Gotcha. The thief doesn't come to steal and kill, destroy. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. So here's, here's basically it. Say it with me. Basic theology. Good God, bad devil. Doesn't get any simpler than that. If it's bad, it's not from God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. So if it's not good and perfect, it doesn't come from Jesus. 
If it's dark, cold, and ugly, it comes from the devil or some product of the devil's world. He gives us life and invites us into it. Oh, they're waving the, Shelly's Shelly, waving the communion tray at me. I want to give you more. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want more, yeah. All right, let me see. Let's see what I can do. All right, so we have three different types of life. We have bios, we have suke, which is the life. The bios is the life of the body. Suke is life of the soul. Zoe is the life of the spirit. Jesus has come to give us life in the spirit. John 10, I've come to give you life, Zoe, life in the spirit, a life that only he gives. And he gives it to us, life in abundance. The word abundance is persios. It's a Greek word. It means fullness above what is average or normal. It means continual and without containment. So Jesus, let's get this clear. Jesus wants you to have a life that is above average, that is a constant flow of life perpetuating, and that is continual and without containment. So when your life feels contained and you feel trapped, that is not of the Lord because that's not what he wants. He doesn't want you contained. Life in the Bible, so if you look at this, so God wants life to us. He wants us to have an abundant life, a Perseus life, a, a, an overflowing life. And you realize, well, how does that happen? And, you know, again, if you look at this in the context of the scripture, the Bible relates life to water. Water is life. Life is water, living water. You guys know what I'm talking about? So if we understand the life that God wants to give us, we can look at water as an attribute of that life. Water is interesting. You know what water can do? Water can rise. Water can rise. So who told you you had to stay the same? You have living water in you. You can rise. I got one. You have water and living water in you. You can rise. You can rise above the circumstance. You can rise above your state. You can rise above whatever, whatever, whatever's been in and around your life. Water rises. Water, uh, water moves past um, barriers. Water cuts its own path. How about that one? You ever seen the Grand Canyon? It was cut by water. Water. So there's too many barriers. You have living water. You have living water. What barrier? A granite barrier? A rock barrier? What barrier? Life can overcome. Life, life overflows. There are things that contain us. What contains you? What contains the life of God within you? Attitudes, actions, hurts, regrets, pain. Here's the big one. Self-imposed limitations or lying beliefs. Who told you that? Who told you you can't do it? Who told you? Who told, did Jesus tell you? If Jesus never told you, it's not true. It doesn't matter who told you. Dr. Phil told me. Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil's not Jesus. He is truth. There is no truth outside of the Lord. Truth only comes from him. And if he told you it's not over, it's not over. If he didn't tell you it was over, it's not over. Self-limiting in beliefs, lying, imposed beliefs, unwillingness to grow and change. And here's the other one. People, places, and things, they tend to hedge us in. It's time to change the people, the places, and the things. Or change yourself. Is it a better one? Water overcomes containment. Water has a power and ability to rise and to increase. And when water rises and increase, it becomes a force. A force. 
You ever seen a tsunami? It's a force. Most dangerous thing about a hurricane is what? Tidal surge. Tidal surge kills more people than wind. The force of water. See, what would happen if you let your life rise? You begin to commune with the Lord, and that life of God began to rise, began to overcome your barriers, your containment. Don't you want your life to be a force? Yeah, come on. Unstoppable, overcoming everything. It's okay. Start today. I got five minutes, Shelly. I got five. I know you're looking at me. I got five. I'm going to end up, I'm going to go quick. Start today. So what do we do? So I'm going to give you a couple quick things. Start today, right? Say it with me. Eliminate Eliminate. the non-essentials. So there's three things that basically, um, what do I want to say? Three things that basically stop us or um, hold us back. Sins that corrupt our paths, wasters, and unhealthy habits. These are the things that stop the life of the believer. The believer's life is unstoppable. You really are unstoppable. I didn't say it's not difficult. I didn't say it's easy. You're never going to get me to say it's easy. But you will never get me to say that the Christian can be stopped because the Christian cannot be stopped. You can't be. The only way we stop is when we, when we negate who and what we are. That's the only thing. The only thing that stops the believer, the only thing, and the devil knows it, is if the Christian quits. That is the only thing that can stop the Christian, is quitting. And that's why the devil, through atmospheres and provoking emotions, voices of people, voices of circumstance. See, the devil's the prince and power of the air. Do you understand that? So the atmosphere, he manipulates through the atmosphere. Devil doesn't show up to you like a boogeyman. Woo! Some of you, if you're playing around with him, he shows up to you that way. But really what he does, he's the prince and power of this world, so he's in the world's culture, but he's the prince and power of the air. And so he manipulates through atmospheres. He controls atmospheres. He puts despair, you know, all these different things. He puts these things over your life, and he tries to get you to come into agreement with it. And then he wins. He couldn't do anything to Adam until he got an agreement. You're not necessarily agreeing with the devil. You're agreeing with the lie that he's telling you. And when you agree with the lie that he's telling you, you're in, you're in de facto agreeing with him. That's how, that's how the game is played. That's the spiritual law. It's over. You're right, it's over. You need to quit. I need to quit. Who told you that? Another story, another day. But he controls us through atmospheres. And the only thing that stops us is if we quit. So Jesus, the Holy Spirit will never tell you to quit. He'll never tell you to quit. I wanted to quit this church so many times. I've shared this story more times than I care to, but it, it's a great illustration. You know, I, I wanted to quit. $32 in the offering, four people in the service. You know, landlords all over me to pay the rent. I'm like, I want to buy a box of bullets. That's really what I wanted to do. That's about it. It was frustrating. And I cried out, ah, oh, Jesus, ah, oh, poor me, you know. I want to quit. I want to quit. Lord's like, you got $1. And one person, you don't quit. Your oath to me is a blood oath, and I take it seriously. You are bound to me by blood. You bleed out before you quit, Kevin. Oh, think about that one. (laughs) And I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to quit on my marriage. You're not quitting. I want to quit on my kids. You're not quitting. I want to quit on myself. You're not quitting. Too close? Is that too close? (laughs) 
Ignorant and arrogant, misaligned values, where we're going to go. So, okay, first thing is sins. Sins are just stupid things, right? Sins are stupid things that you do. You do you are, if you're a Christian, you're not under the sin of condemnation. That's not the sin you're under. There is therefore now no condemnation. Harimatia, which is the sin of offense, has been removed. Harimatano is the problem that we all have. Those are sins that misalign us. So what prevents God's power and a change in our life are the sins of our life that misalign us with the things that God wants to do. Let us run the race that is set before us. Uh, let us, we should remove from our lives everything that gets in the way and the sins that do so easily hold us back, Hebrews 12, 10. What is sin? What is the sin that I'm talking about? Not the sin of condemnation, but the sin that I'm talking about is ignorant and arrogant misalignments with the kingdom, its values, and its purposes. Anything that causes you to move or drift off course is sin. Anything. Those who know what to do and do it not to them, it is sin. It's not the sin of condemnation. It's the sin of misalignment. Big difference. Uh, you have to recognize I'm not going to get too deep into that. Second thing is wasters. Wasters. Hallelujah. This is my favorite subject. I get, I get focused on things sometimes, and the Lord tells me, unnecessary distractions, Kevin. I'm like, what about this, Lord? And he's like, unnecessary distractions. Focus on what I'm telling you. I don't watch the news. You're like, don't you care about what goes on in the world? More than you know. But what in the world can I do about it? You know what I mean? It becomes an unnecessary distraction. I, you know what I mean? It just, it's like, it's like this, I can't do anything about that. I use the, I mean, I vote. That's about the power. That's about the only power I have. I'm somewhat aware of what's going on, but I don't have the power to change it. What I have the power to do is follow the Lord. Wasters. Wasters. See, if you, if you, if you look at the, what, what, what's actually going on, if you look behind the scenes of what's going on in the earth and you look behind the veil, you can see God trying to draw his people in a certain direction. He's trying to move us forward. And you can see the enemy putting an atmosphere over our lives of fear and distraction, right? He's trying to, because he knows that he knows what that does. I'm almost done. I got one more point and I'm done. I'm making it real short. It's 12 o'clock. I'm supposed to be done right now. And I got one point to go. I love you, Shelly. You are the best. You keep me on track. Wasters, unnecessary distractions. Alex, you got that video? All right, I'm gonna show you a waster. Anybody have any of these people in your life? Roll it. 16 seconds. Check it out. Look at I'm in really bad shape. Come on, please. Bob, please. Bob. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I Bob, need, Bob. I need, I need. Give me, give okay, me. Okay, please. all right, all right, please. all right. <laughs> Anybody have any of those people in your life? <laughs> I need, I need. Give me, give me. I need, I need. Unnecessary distractions. Unnecessary. You say it with me. I am not other people's obligation. The Lord is their obligation. You are not their Jesus. Their need and your responsibility is to point them to Jesus. If you help them in the immediate, that's not that's okay. But you're not you're not going to carry them long term. I'm not. You're not their obligation. You're not. The Lord is their obligation. And you connect to people like that, and that's all they'll do. They'll take everything from you and leave you exhausted emotionally. I need, I need, just answer the phone. I need, I need. <laughs> Unhealthy habits, things that you're doing that aren't producing anything. 
You know, it's okay to be distracted every now and then. It's okay to be depressed, or not depressed, uh, um, depressed. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay. (laughs) We all have moments where we need rest. We all have moments where we want to be distracted. That's okay, but that shouldn't be your habit. If there's more Netflix than there is Jesus, there's a problem, right? We, we need to change that. And when I say Jesus, it's worship, it's time with him, it's time spent with him, or it's time working on the things that he's assigned for you to do. Yeah? We should spend our time in those things. An unhealthy habit is anything that takes us away from that. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to relax. It's okay to go to dinner. It's okay to watch movies. It's okay for that. But that shouldn't be the dominant thing, if you get what I'm saying. Right? Uh, change your associations. Change your assumptions. Deal with your junk. I didn't even touch that. Uh, do you be- so let me just ask you a couple of questions. Do you believe Jesus wants fullness for you? Yes. How bad do you want it? Really bad. really bad? So this is what it looks like. Everybody, say it with me. Everybody wants it. But very few will do whatever it takes. The kingdom is for the desperate. Mm-hmm. You can become saved. That's easy. But if you want the fullness, that's for the, the desperate means you'll do whatever it takes. Everybody wants it. We all want it. But most people don't want to do whatever it takes. They don't want to do whatever it takes. That's what it, the, the changes that I have to make is it doesn't matter what change needs to be made. I, need, I, want this different, I want this more than I want my current circumstances. And I'll do whatever it takes. This is the heart and the attitude that brings about change. Without that, you're not going to change. So what do you, so let me just ask three questions. We're going to pray, we're going to take communion, and we're out. What changes are you willing to make? What changes are you not willing to make? What or where are you, what are you not doing, what is it? What or where are you, and what are you not doing? What is it that you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing? Are you willing to explore the roots of why you're not doing it? What is it that you know you're supposed to be doing? Some people don't know what they're supposed to be doing. That's your first step. Lord, what do you want from me? What is it you desire from me? What do you, what do you, what do you long for me? So there's other people that know, and you just won't do it. Or you've given up on it. Are you willing to look at why? Why you're not doing it? Why, you, why you've given up on it? Are you willing to look at that? Where are the wasters in your life? What or why do these things keep occurring? What is enabling these things to continually waste your time? What's going on with that? And where are the habits that need to be reformed? Reforming habits, changing things. Amen? All right, well, I pray. It's a little bit of a different style message, but I pray you guys got something out of this. So, um, amen? All right. So, Jody's going to come. We're going to pray. We're going to take communion together. And um, the way it works, she'll start playing. uh, She's going to play. And you just make your way up and around, grab the communion element, bring it back to your seat, and we'll take it together. You guys can go ahead now. I'm already late, so you guys can go ahead.